G'day guys and welcome back. Today's a little bit of a pet peeve episode of sorts. Uh, I see a lot of people and we've all seen a lot of people over the last few years uh, who I would describe as lacking the skill of critical thinking. Uh, those people that seem to take things verbatim, never look into uh, or make their own opinions on things based on a range of evidence, etc. So, um, this is my educational attempt to improve that within our own communities. So, uh, this is my take on Critical Thinking 101. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. I think firstly, it's important to be very clear in your head what we're actually talking about and why when we're talking about critical thinking. Because I think, especially in today's society, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't feel like it was like this 20 years ago, but I feel like things are taken so incredibly literally that they're taken out of context now. So the concept of critical thinking to a lot of people is to criticize everything, which is definitely not the purpose of it and that type of thinking I don't personally feel like it serves any purpose so we're definitely not here to criticize everything uh it's more a model of uh clarifying uh and combining multiple or triangulating multiple sources of evidence to get a more accurate reading on what's happening or how things work, etc. So I just want to clear that up to start with, is when I'm talking about critical thinking, I'm not talking about criticising other people. A constructive um, pull-apart of a, a concept for your own learning is probably more a more accurate description. So... Why do I think we need this? Well, I spoke about in the last episode uh, about how I don't think OTs have ever really done this particularly well, um, and I don't know why. I've been trying to reflect on this the last few weeks about why OTs seem to struggle with this so much, and I, I feel the the couple of reasons why the, the, that I came up with through that process on why possibly we uh, find this extremely difficult is I don't feel like through a base level degree, whatever that is in your country, whether it's a an undergrad, whether it's a master's, whether it's a doctorate, that research literacy is strongly prioritised. Now, there's always a little aspect of research in most of those courses um but they're mostly designed at a base level and you can get through it without really having that high level of research literacy in my opinion 
i.e. because I did. Um, I didn't really start looking into research literacy and, and getting competent with or confident in my understanding of research terms and that sort of stuff until oh, well after I graduated, years after I graduated. So I feel like if that is the case, then the level of research literacy for a lot of uh, practicing OTs uh, is probably on the low side. Obviously, it's higher than the general population. But for a profession who prides itself on being evidence-based and that kind of thing, we probably don't have as good an understanding of even hierarchies of evidence uh, and why there is hierarchies of evidence, like what makes things at different levels in that hierarchy of evidence, um, then we probably should uh, have a, uh, an understanding of, of that kind of stuff. So uh, my... Big complaint, not complaint, I'm always complaining, you guys know that. But my issue with it is OTs with regards to evidence don't question anything. It's this was published, therefore it's true. Or I saw this on a blog, therefore it's true. Or even for myself, like I was reflecting in the last episode, Brock said this, so it must be true. Now I try and make sure that the evidence that I'm giving you or the opinion that I'm giving you is very clearly labeled what it is. If it's my opinion, if it's my experience, if it's a story from practice, if it's a story that I've heard, if it's something that I've read, I try and make sure that it's very clear to you where what I'm saying to you is coming from so that you've got something to base how much priority that you put in that um, piece of work, piece of evidence, etc. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that we use journal articles and absolutely nothing else, because I have heard that argument before. Journal articles have their place in this hierarchy, and generally they are higher up the hierarchy of evidence because they're peer-reviewed. Therefore, in a nutshell, multiple people have looked at that piece of work and agreed that it's valuable, and it's accurate, uh, and it's useful to us as a profession. It's not just, i.e., this podcast where it might be me uh, giving you a, a practice example um, from my career, or my opinion on something based on my experiences and my lenses, etc., because there's no peer review in that process. It's just straight from my brain into your ears. The process of getting a lot of those journal articles published re requires sometimes multiple reviews from multiple reviewers. So you'll submit your work, you'll write up your work, and there's generally a format to try and follow for most of those journal articles, which, again, standardizes the evidence and makes sure that you cover many important aspects, particularly if it's research. Um then it gets reviewed by multiple people at the whatever journal it is. They provide feedback. You adjust based on that feedback uh, and you resubmit, etc. It might go through that process a couple of times. Now, 
Is that a perfect process? Absolutely not. There are definitely issues. There are... I've heard many stories about people who feel like they are hard done by based on the reviewer's potential bias towards that person's work, i.e. it clashing with the reviewer's own work or something like that. But the fact that it's reviewed by multiple people adds some rigour to that, that piece of evidence. It adds some... Uh, I guess, quality control that an opinion or a blog post or a post in a Facebook group or a podcast doesn't generally have. Now, if I was to make a podcast and send it to people to review, so experts in whatever topic I'm talking about, send it to them to review, they gave me feedback, they gave me notes, I came back, I re-recorded it based on that, I sent it back to them for approval, they gave me more feedback and notes, I adjusted again, sent that back out, and eventually finally got consensus that it was good, quality, accurate uh, information from this group of content experts about whatever topic it was, and then I published it. One, you'd probably get one episode a year <laughs> at this point. Um, but also the information provided in that particular episode would, uh, I feel, be of a lot more accurate and well-established um, nature compared to just what how a podcast generally operates. Now, there's a reason why that doesn't happen with podcasts is because, one, this is volunteer. It's more of a passion project. It's meant to be fun. And I can tell you that putting a process like that in would absolutely kill any fun, <laughs> any passion that would have for this particular project. Um, there's potential there for someone to do that if they really wanted to. Feel free. Take that idea. It's yours. Um, but it's not for me. There's plenty of other avenues, i.e. journal articles, etc., that uh, have that peer-reviewed process down pat, so I'll leave it to those guys. Now, what can we do as clinicians to incorporate more critical thinking into our everyday? And... It's kind of simple, but it kind of sounds... I'm going to try and explain this as best I can without it sounding too tinfoil hat. So, question everything. And what I mean by that is, like, don't get paranoid. It's not a thing about paranoid, like they're coming to get me, kind of question everything. You're allowed to trust people and that kind of stuff. This isn't a movie. But even the stuff that you take for granted. So let's use a, a, a fairly topical example. You were probably taught that occupations are broken into three categories, sometimes four, depending on what you were taught, but it's usually your productivity, leisure, um, rest, etc. Work, rest, play, however, whatever model you were taught, you were taught that Occupations were broken down into these different categories. What most people aren't taught is why. So 
So why are occupations broken down into those categories? Do they need to be? Is what you're actually doing with an individual going to be different whether an occupation is classed as productivity or whether it's classed as leisure? Is there, what is the purpose of looking at occupations under those different subheadings? Those are the kinds of questions that I ask myself when I'm looking at something that, for all intensive purposes, for the occupational therapy profession, is almost taken for granted. But my question is why? Because <laughs> like, I, I, I guess I was always the kid that used to pull stuff apart to work out how it works. And that kind of mindset has carried over into my adult life, uh, but more with sort of, I guess, uh, conceptual things rather than machinery and car parts. So if you tell me that A plus B equals C, like, I want to know why. Like, why doesn't it equal D? Or do we need it to equal C? The same thing happens with, within a mental health practice with regards to diagnosis. It's well established that pretty much the whole health system is based around person getting diagnosis, diagnosis getting treatment. My, and I learned this is something I learned through practice and my experience, but questioning why. Like, if we're OTs and we work with occupational deficits or occupational dysfunction, occupational deprivation, occupational injustice, those concepts that we hold core to what we do, I have not heard diagnosis mentioned in any of them, and it's not. So why do I have to learn so much about a particular diagnosis if we don't work with diagnosis? Why aren't I just spending all that time, instead of learning about diagnosis, learning about occupational disruption occupational deprivation, occupational injustices, etc. And these are the times of, this is what I'm talking about with regards to question everything. Ask questions. So even the stuff you think you know, you can still question. And there might be times where you know something for sure and you ask the question and it turns out, yeah, okay, yeah, that's still something that you know. It's still something that proves to be our truth with regards to your situation and your lenses, etc. And that's fine. But the fact that you've gone through a bit of a process, at least a tiny process of questioning it, you're still trying to check if it's still valid. The thing with a lot of these conceptual ideas and anything to do with health, really, is it's going to change over time. So there might be stuff that I've learnt... I graduated, I worked this out not long ago, I graduated high school 20 years ago, which means it's been about 15-ish years since I graduated uni. The stuff that I came out of university knowing, 100% in my brain, absolute truths about occupational therapy, some of them have faded out, some of them have been actively disproved, um, there's completely new things that I didn't learn in uni, which are now common practice. Things change. And if I'm not willing to question my own practice, if I'm not brave enough to actually go, wait a minute, am I actually doing a good job? Knowing that 
you may get the answer that, hey, you're not actually doing this right or this isn't the best practice to, to be using nowadays. It takes a certain level of vulnerability to be able to actively do that to yourself. But it's important that you do if you want to be giving the best uh, possible service to the people that we work with. So asking those questions about why. It's a, it's a bit of advice that I got from a mentor when I first, probably one or two years out of uni, um, was if you're, no matter what you're doing, whether it's the most basic assessment, whether it's an introduction to someone, whether it's a referral, you need to be able to ask one question and that's why. If you know why and you can explain why you're doing it, then that's a good sign that it's something that you know is important that you should be doing. If you're stumped, even the smallest little bit about the why you're doing something with a client, you might need to do a deeper reflection or a deeper dive into, is this actually something that needs to be done, is important, does a client want it, etc. That why should always be front of mind. And that's that's something that stuck with me for yeah the last 12, 13 years uh, as a really valuable piece of information with regards to critical thinking and what we do day to day as therapists. So the important thing is, uh, one, we need to be able to, we need to be brave enough to be able to reflect on ourselves, no matter what the outcome is going to be, whether it's going to be positive or negative, we still need to be able to do that process for ourselves. We need to ask those questions, but there's more to it. So once we've asked those questions, we might come out with, you know, hey, this part of what I'm doing is good. I can explain that. That makes sense. But there's a little bit of a gray area here. So you're going to need to maybe gather some more information. Now, like I spoke about earlier, there's your different levels of evidence. Obviously, you've got some peer-reviewed stuff. You might have some expert uh, content expert stuff that you might hold in higher regard to than something that you know you heard on the grapevine kind of thing. Um, but you need to gather information about, one, things like what best practice is, what other people are doing, how effective it's been for other clinicians what other services are using, if there's completely other methods that you haven't even heard of that are now being rolled out for whatever it is that you're trying to treat. You need to start gathering some information. The questions don't stop at that first part. Like While you're gathering this information, you also need to be asking the questions of that information. Just because something's published in a journal doesn't mean it's good. It means that multiple people have agreed that it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be perfect for your situation and your clients and your service, etc. So you still need to be asking the questions, the critical questions uh, around the validity of that piece of work to your population, to your service, to your country, to your whatever your contextual uh, things are. What you then need to do is try not to, and I always do this part uh, is try not to come up with a solution that comes from a single source so I'm not going to go hey wait a minute I don't really know how to do this um, there's a, a couple of journal articles on it there's this blog post I found a TED talk there's a podcast on it but that journal article I'm going to do it how they do it 
What I would recommend, however, is what do each of those do well? What do each of them maybe need a little bit of work on? Is there a way that I can combine multiple sources into a more well-rounded solution for my clients? The other thing is try not to think of just a single solution because you might come up with, well, I could do it this way, this way, or this way, A, B, and C options. Then you might be able to present it to the client and say, hey, I've come up with these. We can do it A, B, or C way. What do you think is going to work for you? Or you might then take those three and go looking, do a deeper dive through the evidence and see which one has a closer alignment with best practice. So you need to think around some of the issues that you're coming up with, not just sort of zone straight in to try and find the answer. This critical thinking thing isn't always a linear path. In fact, it, it can be quite cyclic where find a possible response, you look it up, you research it, oh, wait, that's not going to work, go back to the drawing board, find another one, look it up, see if that's going to work, etc. It's a, it's a process and it takes effort and it takes energy, which I think is another part of why people avoid it because, you know, it's hard work. You need to be able to consider alternate systems of thought. This one's a really hard one. Um, and it's something that I've really only started to fully understand what it means uh, probably in the last couple of years, probably since I started this podcast, really, and started talking to some people who made me realize that my thinking is on a very one-dimensional plane and your thinking is on a one-dimensional plane. It just might be on a different plane, which is why I've had discussions with people where for some reason, this is before I was sort of conscious of this concept, I'll have a conversation with someone and I just can't work out why we both think we're right about something, but they're two different answers. And I can't understand why they don't get what I'm saying and they can't understand why I don't get what they're saying. They're coming from a completely different system. They're thinking, they think about things. They process information differently. They see the world differently. Now, whether that's due to culture, whether that's due to upbringing, whether that's due to training, experience, lenses, any of the things that we've looked at as OT professionals with regards to context and the environment can all have an impact on how a person's system of thinking operates. And they're all different, which is why we promote things like uh, Kawa model, which essentially looks at examining the person's system of thinking as opposed to trying to make their situation fit into a very academic OT way of thinking. That's another topic. We'll go into that another time. But it's important that you're able to try and firstly recognize how you think, how you see the world, so that you're not uh, degrading the information that the other individual is giving you because it doesn't fit with your system. Now, in order to do that comes one last thing that you really need to be good at. And it kind of, a lot of people I don't think give this the the accolades that it really needs in this process because it doesn't seem to fit on paper. We're talking about critical thinking, yet one of the most important things with regards to that is communicating effectively. 
So why is that important? It's because if I'm not communicating effectively with someone, say I'm doing an interview on this podcast, we've come across a situation where the person's explaining how they do something. I don't really fully understand it. Uh, we're looking at, we've recognized that we're working from two alternate, alternative systems of thought. Now, if I'm not really clear and communicative during that process, and, and likewise, the other person isn't either, we're just going to bump heads, probably get into a fight, dislike each other, and that'll be it. That isn't growing anyone. If you're just going to bounce off each other's head, that's not going to make anyone grow. No one's learning from that. If we're able to communicate effectively, and that's not saying that we have to try and convince each other that each other is right or wrong, but being able to communicate effectively with regards to understanding and learning from each other, how each other processes, how each other thinks, how each other sees the world. And that might be uh, trying to understand the, I guess, that person's history and how they got to where they are at that point in time. Um, that is where the growth starts. If you're really able to communicate effectively to the point where you're able to start to understand someone's alternate system of thought, one, it gives you a completely different perspective of a situation that you might have either not thought too much or thought something completely different about. Now, two episodes I've done come to mind when I'm thinking about this, and one uh, was with Tupa Ritchie and, and Jody Booth, and that was with regards to uh, essentially Indigenous Australians' experience of a very westernised health system. Now, my system of thought is very uh i guess shaped by that western health system i grew up in it i am part of it i identify with it i was trained in a profession that very much was shaped and abides by the the laws and biases of that system so hearing from an Indigenous Australian person about their perspective, which comes from a very different system of thought, really was something that took me a while to get my head around. And it's only through the effective communication that you're able to do that. The other one was uh, the episode that I did with Dev, the Rainbow OT, with regards to um, his experience, again, similar thing, coming from a very alternative system of thought uh, and Dev's experience of the health system and OT and with regards to uh, LGBTQ plus populations uh, and again, a westernized health system, which OT fits into. So again, without clear communication, without uh, being able to use that to assess and understand an alternative system of thought. I'm not able to think through solutions, come up with multiple conclusions, which all may be true at the same time. You're allowed to have multiple truths. This is the other a bit of advice that I was given years ago that just reminded me is that there's no such thing as an absolute truth. Every truth comes with a context. So this is how you can have multiple truths uh, and only some people can see them because they're so immersed in their own context. So what might be true to one person with their context might be something very different 
that's true to the next person standing next to them who is living and experiencing life through a very different context. So there's no such thing as an absolute truth. Truth comes with context. So tying all that together, what you end up with is a very deep thinker (laughs) in a way. But what you do end up with really is someone who isn't swayed by individual pieces of information, but is able to ask the questions and really analyze like to me with my knowledge, my understanding, is this bit of information good? Does it fit well with the schemas that I am looking to try and build within myself? Not just the ones that I already have, but does it fit well with what I'm learning, where I want to be, etc.? And therefore, you're able to be a lot more open-minded. You're actually going to get a lot more out of the same amount of information than you would if you were just reading it and absorbing what was written on the page. Your This process is going to amplify your learnings with regards to whatever topic it is that you're trying to ingest at the time. I can guarantee it. You're going to get way more out of it and be a much more well-rounded and established therapist because of it. So now that I've got all that off my chest, I hope that made sense to people. Um, So we want to ask questions. We want to gather the relevant information when we find things that we need to, to learn more about. We're trying to think through multiple solutions and conclusions with regards to the situations. We want to try and consider things from alternative systems of thought. And the key to a lot of it, and I've been palming this for years, that this is something that OTs really need to focus more on, effective communication. If we can't do that, we can't do shit. So that is the number one thing that I think every OT, no matter how good a communicator you are, you can always be better. And that's the number one thing I think we need to actively, as a profession, start improving. Because I think once we do that, everything is is going to be improved. All right. I will talk to you guys real soon. I'm very keen to hear your thoughts on this one. If you've got any experience with any of those concepts um, that, that we talked about today, uh, is this something new to you? Is it a different way of thinking to you for you? Have you got a lot of experience with critical thinking? Do you know another model of critical thinking that you'd like to use? Let me know. Hit me up. Shoot me a DM on Insta. You can message me on Patreon. Whatever you like. Completely up to you. But I'm super keen to hear your thoughts. Uh, And I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.